0: Hello, and welcome back to 1A, a podcast of First Presbyterian Church of Columbia, South Carolina. 1A is designed to take a brief but in-depth look at counseling issues from a pastoral perspective. In today's episode, we continue our discussion on the Westminster Confession of Faith, and we'll be looking at chapter 7, sections 4 through 6. We'll discuss the unchanging character of God's faithfulness to his covenant people throughout history. If you have any questions about today's episode, Please don't hesitate to reach out to us. You can email us at 1A, that's the number one letter A, at firstprezcolumbia.org. We hope this ministry is a blessing to you and to those around you. Now, let's get to the conversation.
1: All right, welcome back to 1A. My name is Josh Squires, and we're here to continue talking about the confession and how the confession can be used in counseling So, Fleming, tell us what we're talking about The Westminster Confession of Faith
0: is what we're talking about, particularly chapter 7, which covers uh, the covenants. And um, we're looking at this, and and it's interesting. I I remember reading last year, we did a book for the Foundry, our discipleship program here at First Pres, And we read this book by John T. Rhodes called Covenants Made Simple. And it's interesting, he he starts this um, uh, introduction with saying that that phrase Jesus uses in the Last Supper It's recorded in Luke 22. He says, This cup which is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. Mm. He says most Christians today could could read right through that phrase without the new covenant being there, and it would be fine. They would just move right along. Okay, got it, got it, got it. Um, And and I think what that points to is, first of all, Jesus at this very important moment of his life, how important he sees covenants and Mm. the theology surrounding them. And then maybe how we, in our modern day, we, we don't see it as important as we should. Right. Yeah. And so I'm, hel- I'm, I'm glad to get together again and talk about uh, covenant theology with you guys, as, mm. as it's um, explained here in, in the Confession of Faith. We're picking up in, in chapter 7, uh, section 4, and I'll just read that and we'll get the, the conversation going. It says, This covenant of grace is frequently set forth in Scripture by the name of a testament. In reference to the death of Jesus Christ, the testator, and to the everlasting inheritance with all things belonging to it, therein
1: bequeathed. Mm. That's a very technical, yeah. legal-sounding. <laughs> that's right. Section, right? Like we use testator, um, and anytime you use the word bequeath, mm-hmm. that's that's a pretty. Yeah. Technical it's, legal section. I use right. that word quite often. That's not like know, your Tuesday know. afternoon word. No. Right. <laughs> I use it with my children. I'm bequeathing you this dinner. <laughs> <laughs> I have made it and I bequeath it to you. It is now yours to
2: bequeath eat. yourself your own dinner. Go get it yourself.
1: <laughs>
2: <laughs>
1: Probably say that more than I should. Um, <laughs> Now, there's a couple elements here that I think we should maybe highlight in in the midst of being able to look at this. And, of course, this was written in the 17th century, so it has that 17th century language to it. Mm. But it's trying to say a couple of very clear things. Um, one, it is saying that there is a testator in Jesus Christ who is giving you something. Mm. It, in other words, it's like a will and testament. Mm-hmm. mm if you just think about when someone passes away and they want to leave or bequeath mm-hmm. their belongings unto someone else, what is that called? It's called a will and testament. It's a legal document that guarantees you something and that cannot be changed. Mm. That, that that thing happens upon the death of this person. That person has already died. It can't change now, which is why there's always so much legal drama especially around a will and testament of someone famous with a lot of resources. These mm-hmm. people jockey for position and there's all kinds of questions. Oh, this person came in late in life and kind of wooed this person and shouldn't have gotten this and that and all of that. Well, this is saying there is a testator in the person of Jesus Christ who guarantees you something upon his death. And that is eternal life. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Can't be changed. Can't be taken away. It's already done. Um, and, and you can have the full assurance of somebody who has bequeathed, given unto you something. Now, we get it in part here, we get it in full in glory, but we've already gotten the first part of that inheritance hmm. by the Holy Spirit, as hmm. Christ gives us the Holy Spirit. Hmm. So I think, I think that's maybe for me the biggest takeaway of this section, is the absolute concreteness Hmm. of the promise and the guarantee. It's based on the testation of Jesus Christ who cannot lie and upon his act of his death and resurrection.
3: Hmm. Josh, I'm in a class on the Westminster Standards this semester, and we're reading uh, Chad Van Dixhorn's book, Confessing the Faith, a Reader's guide to the Westminster Confession of Faith. And Um, In this section, he just has this brief comment that uh, I think is really, really good. He says, For we all know who must die before a last will and testament can come into effect. It is the one who made it. Hmm. And so it is that the Son of God bled out his life for us so that we would receive an everlasting inheritance. What a powerful picture this is. Oh, man i amen. just couldn't say it better than
1: that <laughs> yeah. amen if you if you struggle with assurance or comfort you know you can go back and look at the historic work that christ has done for you mm. he literally died on the cross and there's mm. really there there's not much by way of controversy over the fact that he actually lived and actually died who he was sure there might be controversy as to who he was for us for for non-evangelicals mm, right mm-hmm. we're we're very settled on who he was lord and savior mm-hmm. but even historically like you just talk to historians and they would say yes this person probably did live and probably did die there's just so much historic evidence out there mm. non-believers believers alike writing about this person it would be hard to argue against mm. and in that what, what do we know for sure? We know for sure that he lived. We know for sure that he died. And that death that he definitely did die and we believe he was then resurrected does guarantee you something. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It wasn't for nothing. It couldn't possibly be for nothing. And the thing that it was for was everlasting life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's, and that's, okay, whatever we have to deal with in this life. Paul says that he, he counts it Light and temporary, mm. Mm. Yeah. compared to what we're going to attain because of what Christ has given us in His last will and testament. Again, namely, His Spirit and eternal life.
3: That's so comforting. Peter
1: says it like this: He
0: says, "There's this inheritance, this imperishable, mm-hmm. undefiled, unfading. Like this, yeah. it's just this. It's it's perfect." Yeah. Mm. And I, I like the the point you've brought out here, uh, Josh Squires. The the idea that like if you're if you're struggling with doubts. Um, the, the right thing to do is not to look to yourself. Yeah. And that's what the, I think what the confession is hopefully doing, helping us to see here is, is look to Christ. Yeah. The one who is the testator, as, as Mark said, the one who did spill his blood for you, all of our comfort is found, you know, not in looking at our, 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 our own selves and our own lives and our own works as those things fluctuate up and down. But to look to Him yeah. mm-hmm. and and put all our trust and faith and hope in Him, um, and so yeah, I think this this is a very powerful um, this everlasting inheritance is a very powerful uh, section here. Yeah,
1: mm-hmm. Adair, anything yeah, you want
2: to? Yeah, I, I mean, I was uh, going to jump in and say I, super powerful. I was always confused by the language of testator and bequeathing. Uh, yeah, yeah. I think like testator is I the am. one who
1: takes the test, right? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> there you go. You either pass or. Uh, oh, that's testator.
2: And, and the bequeather is the one that quateth. I'm not sure. Uh, yes, yes, <laughs> quotheth indeed. In indeed. Uh, I think it's easy to think of this as the benefits of what Christ has accomplished us. Uh, and there is no separation between Jesus himself, though, and those benefits. Uh, mm-hmm. And. I think of making a will and testament, it terrifies me uh, because, like, hmm. you and I, when we have to face these legal questions, we face them as people tyrannized by the pain and suffering of death. Hmm. God Himself, the Father and the Son, uh, eternally swore knowing His body would be the vessel for guaranteeing our benefit. Like, God is not. Wow the anxious father who who feels as if there's something preventing him uh, from really making sure uh, that all of his benefits will come. He's the father who actually uh, willfully uh, asks the son who joyfully uh, does so that th- we've got to make sure that your people Your bride is guaranteed your benefits, Hmm. and it's not like like when you and I make a will, we're entrusting it to a legal authority. Like God is is saying, like I am swearing myself to take on death uh, and to die, so that this benefit can come, and that's what the son is swearing too. Like that's beautiful, like uh, and and glorious if you think about it, because you know there's a sense in which this this touches on assurance. Like, do I really get the benefits? But it also touches on assurance from the heart of the Father for his people. Like, does God really love you? Like, absolutely. Like, it is, is do you know anyone who would willfully take on death to demonstrate you life? Oh, yeah. Uh, or to give you new life. Oh, yeah, you do. His name is Jesus. And that's the one who has chosen you uh, to receive these benefits.
3: Hmm. Amen. Amen. This
0: is section five. This covenant, speaking of the covenant of grace, was differently administered in the time of the law and in the time of the gospel. Under the law, it was administered by promises, prophecies, sacrifices, circumcision, the Paschal Lamb, and other types and ordinances delivered to the people of the Jews all for signifying Christ to come, which were for that time sufficient and efficacious through the operation of the spirit to instruct and build up the elect in faith in the promised Messiah by whom they had full remission of sins and eternal salvation. And that all that is called the old Testament.
1: That's a lot. There's yeah. a lot there. Yeah, It's, it's quite a big section. Um, but it's so helpful for how we think about just the Bible in general. Yeah, That's right. absolutely. And, and I think this is actually a place where a lot of people get confused. Where we, we often talk about two elements, continuity and discontinuity, when it comes to the Old Testament and the New Testament. And discontinuity is often more visible, mm-hmm. more noticeable. And so you'll get those that would describe god in the old testament as a an angry god right and the new testament as a loving god mm. and so what this does is it helps show that the character of god actually doesn't change right mm. he is the same yesterday today and tomorrow he's actually very merciful mm. with israel mm. Mm. sending her prophets for literally hundreds of years mm. yeah trying to Warn her to simply be faithful. And yet, here what the authors say is, even though there's all of these things, promises, prophecies, sacrifices, circumcision, the Paschal Lamb, and other ordinances, and it's thinking of the entire sacrificial system, all Mm -hmm. of the feast days, Mm -hmm. everything that went in and around worship in the Old Testament, it ultimately was aimed at one thing, sufficient... Efficacious, that's, that's what it was. It was sufficient, and efficacious through the operation of the Spirit. Okay, that, that's exactly what we see in the New Testament. Mm-hmm. Mm. The this Holy Spirit isn't new. Yeah. Um, there's that old statement what in the old is concealed is in the new revealed. Yeah. Right? Or B.B. Warfield would talk about it like there's this ornate room with all this ornate furniture, but all the lights are out. Hmm. and then you walk in and you have a flashlight and you can begin to scan around and see all the things but it's only that one cone of light so it's not it's not fully lit you don't get to see everything in its splendor all the time and that's what the new testament is to the old testament it's the torch that helps us to see all the ornate distinctives of the old. So the Holy Spirit isn't new in the New Testament, he's operative in the Old Testament and he's operative unto the end that he would instruct and build up the elect in faith. Mm-hmm. That's the exact same means for New Testament believers. Mm. The, the only difference is at the end of that phrase it says in the promised Messiah. So so if we were just to take the word promised out And to say that, what are the ordinary means of grace for us? That is, hearing the word and reading it regularly, prayer and the sacraments. What might they be for? Well, sufficient and efficacious through the operation of the Holy Spirit to instruct us and build up the elect in faith in the Messiah. Mm -hmm. We could use that exact same phrase minus the Mm -hmm. word promised, and it would be the exact same for the New Testament believer as the Old Testament believer. Old Testament believers were not saved by the sacrificial system. Mm -hmm. They weren't saved by a different means than the New Testament. It was just a different route to get there. Different things displaying Hmm. what ultimately God would fully reveal in his son. Mm. Well said. Okay. Any thoughts? Well, I think that's really good. I think...
0: It may be just helpful to go ahead and read the next yeah, section because yeah, they're kind of, of yeah, yeah. They're, they're, this is kind of filling out um, more of that. So, the next section I was going to read this is uh, again Westminster Confession, chapter seven, section six. It says, Under the gospel, when Christ the substance was exhibited, the ordinances in which this covenant, again, talking about the covenant of grace, is dispensed are the preaching of the word and the administration of the sacraments of baptism and the Lord's Supper, which Though fewer in number and administered with more simplicity and less outward glory, yet in them it is held forth in more fullness, evidence, and spiritual efficacy to all nations, both Jews and Gentiles, and is called the New Testament. These, or excuse me, there are not therefore two covenants of grace differing in substance, but one and the
1: same under various dispensations. Mm. Yes. So again, a couple of things. One, a new word here, dispensation, that we're encountering, which is to say this is the word used to say we recognize discontinuity. Yes. That there is there is some discontinuity, though growth, though, though consistent growth revealing more and more the fullness of the plan of salvation, the plan doesn't change. But you would say there are different dispensations between the old and the new in the sense that we no longer have the sacrificial system. We no longer have to go to one place to see and to worship God more fully, the temple, Hmm. but instead his believers are the temple. His spirit lives in us. People experience him as they experience us. Those sort of things are new in this particular dispensation. However... That even though we have, and I love their language on this, fewer in number and administered with more simplicity and less outward glory. Mm-hmm. That that's, a, that's an incredible description mm-hmm. of the New Testament faith and system as compared to the Old Testament. We had all these feast days, and you're going to have to travel all of this time, and you had various types of sacrifices. If it's guilt sacrifice, if it's sacrifice for all the people, if it's sabbatical years, whatever it is, all of that ornamentation is now removed for something more simple. Why? Mm -hmm. Because we have everything that that was pointing to, we now have in its fullest. Right. Mm. Each of those, like various facets on a diamond, was pointing to Christ, and now we have Christ. So we don't have to deal with all the various facets. Mm. We can deal with the substance. Mm which is what they go on to say, it is held forth in more fullness. That is this more simple version of worship. Held forth in more fullness, evidence, and spiritual efficacy to all nations, both Jews and Gentiles. Another thing that they're highlighting here is that this now goes out. It's no longer bringing people into the nation that, that was Israel. It's now to go out to the nations mm. in order that they might know Christ, that all every tribe, tongue, and nation might know um, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Mm. Amen.
3: Yeah, uh, Van Dixhorn on this section reflects particularly on uh, a passage at the end of Hebrews 12. Um, He says, as the writer to the Hebrews explains in some of his closing words, what we have, meaning New Testament uh, Christians, what we have is so much better. Yes, it must have been glorious to see Mount Sinai at the giving of the law. Nonetheless, we have come to Mount Zion, Mm. to the heavenly Jerusalem, the city of the living God. How marvelous it must have been to worship with throngs of God's people in the great Old Testament festivals. Mm. And yet we have come to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly. Mm. And I think that really can be something that— we wrestle with when we think about, well, I can't see those thousands and thousands of angels. Mm-hmm. And so in that sense, it can feel not real to us, mm. but that doesn't make it any less real. Mm. Um, the truth is that what we have right now in Jesus Christ is so much better. So we have such a fuller revelation of God and himself than uh, the old covenant people of God. Ultimately in Jesus, Jesus himself. And wow, what a mm-hmm. blessing.
1: Well, and you just look at that lived out. In other words, look at the Old Testament. How often when they got to see something that you and I think all the time like, "Ooh, I wish I could have just seen that." Mm-hmm. The the voice of God thundering over Mount Sinai. Mm-hmm. Man, I wish I could have seen that. Pillar of smoke and fire. If I could have seen that, I definitely would never doubt if I could have day by day bread from heaven given to me so that I could actually physically see it for decades, there's no way I would ever doubt God's existence and his goodness. Well, except the people that were there. <laughs> <laughs> they, they almost doubted it continuously. Yeah. yeah. And you and you look at the system of sacrifices and feasts and all that. And again, it's the efficacious way. To the thing that is not yet revealed in the Old Testament. And yet, faithfulness isn't exactly what they were known for. Mm, yeah. They they ran after other gods and it, it didn't seem to to do the work. And so God faithfully reveals this it points to what the New Testament is, that it is faith in the Messiah. And yet he also shows you that human effort doing all these things, all these sacrifices and all this. It's bankrupt mm. you you can't do enough to make you okay yeah i'm gonna i'm gonna give you a series of time where it's gonna appear as if you're doing these sacrifices it's It's really about faith, but go ahead do do the sacrifices, and it's never it's never enough it's mm. always bankrupt you you need one who will do it for you, yeah right uh the other thing that I would say just quickly is that from a counseling perspective, where is this helpful? I mean, this is a lot of doctrine right now. Where is this helpful? And I think that the place that I would want to say from a counseling perspective is is that your God is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. Yes. I, I just want you to have the comfort to know that the promises that God makes you in His Word are fully and totally reliable. He's not fickle. He doesn't change his mind. He doesn't try one way of salvation for a little while, and oops, that doesn't work. Well, let me try this way of salvation for a little while, and oops, that doesn't work, and ooh, let me try this way of salvation for a little while, oops, that doesn't work. Finally, okay, I'm done with that nation. I'm done with that plan. I'm going to go and do something radically different with a radically different group. Imagine if he were that fickle. Mm. How could any of his promises be taken seriously? Mm, Yeah. But instead, you have a God that has the same promise from Genesis 1 through the end of Revelation. (laughs)
3: It's
1: the same promise. And it's just trying to get you to that same promise, which is he himself will be the one who stands in the gap in order that we might be righteous and live forever with him. Mm. Amen. You can trust that. Yeah. And that's Hebrews 13,
3: verse 8. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Mm. and. Wow, just what a comforting reminder that is.
2: Yeah.
0: yeah. You know, you think of, as I think of the covenants and this refrain almost that's repeated throughout the Old Testament of of, I will be your God and you will be my people. And and the covenants, God's covenant with his people, that is his way of guaranteeing that. It's it's something we can look to. It's almost, you know, people always say it's kind of like a contract and they want to qualify it, but in, in a sense it is like God's, it's a promise, an unshakable promise that he will be the God of his people and they will be his people and know him as their God. Um, there's this re- relationality that's um, completely uh, entailed there. And it's it's just it's very, very beautiful because um, we our entire world, I mean, we think about what we deal with on a daily basis is, is change and mm. and breaking of promises and breaking of contracts and to look at this and say, there is something sure and steady (laughs) Mm. that you can, you can stake your all on. Um, I think it's very helpful for, Mm. for the the counseling suite. Yeah. Mm.
1: Adair, any final thoughts from you?
2: I would just say that, uh, not only is that assurance that someone could receive from this rear facing, like Jesus has come, he's accomplished all these things. He's forward facing. That's the way that the new Testament works too. And, uh, that same assurance that God has acted consistently serves as the hope that what we have yet to receive from his promises uh, will be guaranteed to us. So it's a double certainty. Uh, mm. And it, it's all based out of the gracious uh, kindness of God uh, to relate to us in that way. So mm.
1: That's good. Okay, let's talk about what we're coming up to next because the next chapter. We're probably going to want to spend some time on. Well, yeah, well, yeah we're, this is going to be like. I a, mean, we spent a lot of time on. <laughs> <laughs> we spent a lot of time on chapters that <laughs> maybe we should have only spent five minutes on.
3: But
0: this next <laughs> chapter. This is next chapter. Big. chapter eight is of Christ the Mediator. Mm-hmm. And uh, it, yeah, just glancing through it, I think it's going to be just absolute. Um, gold gold food for our souls yeah i mean it's just gonna be in- incredible so um stay tuned i would say if, if you're enjoying this at all please yeah uh, please continue to check in as we hope to be having these released more regularly in, in the coming weeks uh yeah this should be this should be very encouraging
1: sounds good well then we hope to see you next time and until then for josh josh and mark i'm josh squire your host god bless